if you're not having fun, don't send an email. Screw the consistency. The only consistency that you need to be concerned about for your readers is the consistency of your value. As long as you're providing great value with each and every one of your emails, you're golden. You're good. Don't worry about anything that anyone tells you. Lead with your intuition. Test everything. A-B split test everything that you can or if you want to. And again, have fun with it. Most business owners and entrepreneurs are secretly sick of hustling. And if you are too, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast with me, Mickey Anderson, where we're revolutionizing success because you should have it all. Business success, lasting wealth, freedom, and fulfillment. Join me on this quest to uncover the keys to defining and achieving success on our terms so we can all hustle less and profit more. Spam, illegally purchased lists, pleasy tactics. That used to be the norm in email marketing. And many business owners still avoid email marketing for the fear that they'll be intrusive and spammy for their customers and audience. Is it possible to use email marketing ethically? In today's conversation, I sat down with Yuval Ackerman, who is an email strategist and copywriter based in Berlin, Germany, to demystify email marketing. Yuval helps entrepreneurs market themselves authentically and without guilt and teaches us the three core components of ethical email marketing. Here is my conversation with Yuval Ackerman. I'd love to learn more about you and your experience as a copywriter and marketer up until this point, kind of what brought you to where you are now. Sure. I mean, I was always writing. I was always interested in, you know, exploring stories through my own eyes and through others' eyes. But I really got my first, let's call it big opportunity when I was finishing high school and I was born and raised in Israel. So when you finish high school, you have to enroll to the army. And I was both fortunate enough and not as lucky to be recruited to the army's national radio station, which has a massive massive reach, like 50% of the population, that kind of reach, uh, which is crazy. And I was barely even 18. I was a reporter and a news editor for three years. And I've done and covered a lot of topics that I didn't really feel like I should be covering, or I didn't feel like I was comfortable enough talking about those things or talking to the people or asking that extra question because I thought it was too intrusive in a sense. And so I left those three years with the feeling that I don't want to do any writing anymore. I don't want to be linked to this world where all of my colleagues were kind of continuing to work in and for the media in different roles and are doing marvelously well, you know, but I just felt that I needed a break and I needed to do something completely different. And so I tapped into another huge love of mine, which is food. And I went to work in several restaurants. And in between, I also uh, moved countries and continents and continued to work in gastronomy while I was studying in Berlin, in Germany. And when I finished my BA here, I thought, well, actually, I don't want to do anything with what I just studied. And I don't want to work in gastronomy anymore because as much as I love food, 
it's not paying as well as I can. And I wanted to go back to earning a living from something that I know how to do and using my brain rather than my body. Um, and I just started figuring out, okay, I want to write again for a living. How do I do that? I started with content writing because I thought, well, this is the most effective way to tell stories, which is what I wanted to do. Then slowly but surely I started gathering all sorts of clients and I started writing blog posts and all kinds of, of texts. And then all of a sudden they started asking me to write other types of texts like websites and landing pages and emails. And I thought, wait, this is not content writing. <laughs> this is not what I signed up for. But I also felt that this is happening for a reason. I believe that everything kind of happens for a reason and I grew into it more organically. And also at that time of my business life, I felt that it's a very good point to kind of either segue or niche down into something that I'm more interested in and develop my expertise in whichever it is that I'm going to pick. And so between all the choices, the many choices that I had, I started seeing email marketing rising again and again as something that um, spoke to me for some reason. And I just went with that. And it's so funny because up until a few years ago, I would have never thought that I'd be an email copywriter and strategist simply because emails can be sleazy, pushy, and very unethical. And so I never thought that I would be writing emails, that I would enjoy writing emails, and I would enjoy telling stories through emails. But honestly, right now, I don't see any other way to tell a story in its entirety in a better platform. Because I think that social media is way too short. And the algorithms, well, let's not get into that. Um, <laughs> so social media is, is weird and it's not yours. Email is yours. I mean, I can go on and on, but basically I feel like email marketing is the best platform to tell your story, to own the platform and also to earn an honest living. So in a nutshell, that's the story. You know what? I'm interested to learn more about how you were able to kind of reconcile this original idea or belief that you had that marketing was unethical, that marketing was intrusive into a place where now you're fully open arms, accepting of it and leaning into the power and potential of well-done marketing. I think that goes hand in hand with the process that I had to go through and reconcile with the trauma that I carried with me from my journalism days. And so through a lot of therapy and a lot of hard work, I realized that whatever I'm going to do, either in my business or in my life, I need to listen to my intuition because my intuition knows best. What I've, I'm seeing online or what I've been seeing online that's great. And maybe that's working for other people. That's not what I want to put out there into the world. And if I'm going to help anyone to market themselves, if I'm going to market myself to anyone, it has to be on my own terms because otherwise it's, it's going to show and I'm not going to be 
transparent about who I am. I'm not going to be transparent about who it is that I'm working with or what they're offering. Whoever is going to read either the emails or whatever it is I was doing at the time is just not going to align with, with the copy. So all of my hard work and the hours and the research is going to worth basically nothing. It all boils down to the intuition and listening to my intuition and realizing that it has to be, it has to be on my own terms. So, and I know as a marketer and copywriter, email can get a bad name. We get spam. We hear about businesses illegally purchasing lists. And in this day and age, our inbox is, is kind of a sacred space in our lives. I know many business owners avoid email marketing in fear that they are going to be intruding into that sacred space in other people's lives. It's always the business owner who hates being on lists and gets spammed that refuses to email market at all. I know you've kind of alluded to the power of email, but can you give us a little bit more about why email is the place to be for businesses? I think that email is, it has no rules in terms of either consistency or length or what is it that you're using on your emails. So I, I'm on many, many lists myself. Would have been kind of weird if I wasn't, right? Um, and so I am seeing all types of mails, like designed ones and ones with GIFs and ones that are plain texts and so many different emails. And each and every one of them is speaking the truth or of, of whoever it is that's sending in them. And I think it's so beautiful to see what you can make out of it. You can really make it your own, whether it's designed or plain text, whether it's a welcome sequence with a four-part kind of story. I've seen all kinds of welcome sequences with like hidden parts or longer sequences or shorter sequences. And I really think you can make it your own. You can, th that's your kingdom. And no one is regulating it, so to speak, besides, you know, the emails themselves. Um, but no one really tells you, oh, it needs to be this or that length. It needs to have that many emo emojis. It needs to have, no, you can do whatever you want with it. And business owners who really use email marketing are doing amazing things, honestly. And I think it's such a great way to tell your story, make a sale and be ethical altogether. I've definitely heard a lot of myths about email marketing and I'm sure you have too. And maybe some of the business owners listening today are hearing a lot of things that they think are advice or potentially rules about email marketing that aren't true. Can you give us some examples of some of the common myths you hear about email marketing? Sure. I think a lot of business owners who are either just starting with emails or getting deeper into the subject think that they have to use all kinds of tactics that they don't align with or that contradict their values, so to speak. And honestly, if we're already talking about ethics, actually, if you are doing something that contradicts your values, if you are sending more emails, let's say in a sequence or in a funnel or in a launch than you would like to receive, then 
I would question it. I would definitely question it. You don't have to do whatever anyone says. You can experiment. You should experiment. You should test everything. And you should have fun with it because it shows. Whoever's on the other side, your readers are going to feel it, really. I can definitely see the difference between people who are sending daily emails versus launch emails every once in a while or any kinds of sequences. So the, the daily ones, so the more heavy users, I would say, I wouldn't say that they're less ethical, but I think I can read through it that they're having less fun with it, that they're just writing it to send something every day, to stay in my conscious, you know? So if you're not having fun, don't send an email. Screw the consistency. The only consistency that you need to be concerned about for your readers is the consistency of your value. As long as you're providing great value with each and every one of your emails, you're golden. You're good. Don't worry about anything that anyone tells you. Lead with your intuition. Test everything. A-B split test everything that you can or if you want to. And again, have fun with it. The thing that I appreciate about emails compared to something like social media or TV or advertisements is like you have a choice as a reader. So first off, we have given permission to this person to contact us. We have a subject line that gives us context as to whether or not we should open or close it now, later or not at all. And we have the option to opt out also. And so it's kind of a different experience where you have as a reader, a lot more power compared to social media. When we think of emails and the different ways that we can go about emails, I think the word value can sometimes be tricky for business owners. As you mentioned, you want to lead with value. And we say that all the time, but I think a lot of us worry, I have nothing to say, or I, maybe I don't have anything of value when it comes to value, do you think that entertainment and personal insight is as valuable or okay to send as information or um, white papers or anything of that kind of matter? That's an interesting question because I'm in the middle of doing some market research for myself and my own business, which I highly recommend anyone and everyone to do. But the thing is, I'm finding out that so many different people have different preferences and my audience is like no other's audience. Every audience is unique. Even if we have the same contacts on both of our email lists, they would probably expect different things from different people. Research your, your audience and ask them, literally ask them what would they find valuable? For some audiences, it would be, yeah, information, white papers, blog posts, other videos. Um, for some other audiences, it would be more about, you know, a recap of the week that's that I've had. Or for another type of audience, it's going to be just a bunch of jokes. I mean, it really, really, really depends on what is it that your readers are expecting from you. Do the work and ask them what is it that they expect. Spice it up, test again, test everything. That's the, you know, the leading kind of mantra here. And that's basically it. 
You know, I, I appreciate that advice because I think a lot of us get fearful of the unsubscribe. Like if I send this one email and it doesn't land right, everyone's going to get off my list. They're all going to hate me. They're not going to trust me. I'm going to get a bad name. But when we look at ourselves as consumers and some of the email lists we're on, we give a lot of grace, right? Like it's not necessarily the first email that hits our inbox that doesn't quite meet our expectations that leads to the unsubscribe. Most of the time it's the second or third when we start to see a pattern. And I think knowing that might give the audience a little bit more freedom to really test and look at who's opening, who's reading, who's unsubscribing and when, as opposed to just being fearful and not doing anything. First of all, I, I love this statement because I find that still a lot of people have this complex relationship with the unsubscribe. But actually, that's one of my favorite responses to email marketing because it basically says, okay, this is how I react to your emails and I don't find value in your emails and there's nothing wrong with it. You want to curate a list that loves everything that you put out there. Maybe not everything that you put out there, but... Um, that appreciates you visiting in their inboxes every once in a while, weekly, monthly, whatever it is. You want to create this sense of, oh, wow, Mickey sent me an email that I'm going to really enjoy reading. I'm going to save it for the weekend. You know, I'm going to open it. I'm going to sit on the couch. I'm going to make 10 minutes and just read it with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea. You know, that's the kind of, that's the sense of, familiarity and excitement that you want to create uh, among your readers. So I would kind of flip the switch and I would say, don't be afraid of unsubscribers because first of all, to be on your list is a privilege and to get to know you is a privilege. Whoever gave you consent to actually send them emails might change their minds and that's okay. We're all human. We all change our minds every once in a while. But the thing is, Another thing that I wanted to talk about is consent. I feel like we're exploiting the terms of consent nowadays. And that's something that really bugs me. And so I think that consent that is one of the main pillars, one of the main three pillars, actually, of what ethical marketing is all about. So consent, transparency, and storytelling. If we're talking about consent, then let's be transparent about this consent all the way. Let's give whoever is on our list, the option to either opt out from a, you know, a specific sequence or opt out in general in each and every one of our emails. That's still not happening everywhere. And I'm very worried about that, actually. So let's use this consent and not, not exploit it. And if someone is unsubscribing from our list, let's see this as an opportunity to tweak things and rework some things and ask for some feedback and see how we can better the experience of everyone else on our list. I'm seeing this shift in email marketing and it's starting with a lot of the, the younger people out there who are starting businesses. I'm on a few different lists and recently I've seen a new trend where 
for a sales sequence, for example, or a launch sequence, the second sales email, there'll be a soft opt-out. So in the email at the very top, it's if you no longer want to hear about this launch or this service, click here. You'll still be on my list, but you won't get this sequence. And I saw that and smiled and was, I felt so good about the power that this, like it made me want to stay on the sequence, right? Because I had the option. And I, I love that you mentioned that because there are tools we can use very easily to ensure that everyone feels like they have the power in the conversation to either tune in or tune out. Yeah, I actually experienced a few months back, I was uh, testing my new welcome sequence. And I saw that a lot of people are basically opting out from the list in general. And I thought, well, I do love the story that I'm putting out there. I do like the sequence, but apparently that's not what everyone wants. But on the other hand, they're just opting out of the entire list in general. So they're not going to see what's coming even weekly or monthly or whatever it is in the future. And so I started also implementing this soft opt-out option on my welcome sequence. And then everything changed. My statistics are through the roof now with this soft opt-out and no one, and I'm saying literally no one that's opted in has opted out because of that. Also in the landing page itself to subscribe to my list, once you subscribe, I'm also saying you're going to receive a welcome sequence. It's going to have this and that amount of emails with my story. I highly recommend you reading them because I put my heart and soul into it, but you don't have to. You will have an opt-out option and still stay on my list. And you have the choice. You have the choice. Use it or don't use it. That's fine. <laughs> no hard feelings. But I think implementing this choice into basically, I would say, each and every one of your emails, um, even if it means changing your preferences on the main email list, whatever it is, or however you can you know, change them, by giving the choice and um, giving the power to empower your subscribers, you're gaining so much more than just a subscriber. You're actually gaining trust. And if we're talking about the know, like, and trust process of you know the customer journey, you can't wish for more than that. So please use the consent, use the transparency to build this trust. I guarantee you it will come back tenfold to you. So you mentioned first consent, and then you mentioned transparency. And I'd love to dig in more on what that means for a business owner as they're starting to dip their toe into email marketing. That can look so different from one business owner to another. I would always ask myself, what is it that I'm going to share with my subscribers that I would also share with someone who's sitting next to me in public transport or on an airplane? If I feel comfortable enough sharing the story, great, go ahead with this. But you don't have to share everything with your subscribers. There's nothing wrong with setting healthy boundaries with your list. And I encourage you to set ones. Um, transparency is what I define as market how you would like to be marketed to, basically. 
it doesn't have to come with sharing everything about your life. You can, if that's what you like to do, if that's how you like to, to build some kind of familiarity, great, do that. But you don't have to use vulnerability or, or personal stories or personal photos on your list constantly to build this connection. Do whatever feels right to you and market however you would like to be marketed to. And share the process with your subscribers. If you don't feel like sharing personal information, a part of this transparency is to say, actually, you know what, first name, I don't feel convenient sharing this part of my life. And I'm sure you will agree with me that some things don't have to be shared. And that's fine. As long as you're respectful and transparent about what it is that you're sharing, I think you're winning either way. I received some sleazy emails this week that the word transparency really kind of raised a flag for me or or set off an alarm because sometimes you'll get an email where the subject line says something and the body of the email is not at all what you expected. It's completely different. So maybe they went in saying, I'm going to give you helpful tips. And then it was straight into some really hard sales pitch. Or I actually received an email this week saying, you've been enrolled in XYZ program. I never enrolled in the program. So I opened up the email and it was a sales email about that program. And I was immediately turned off and opted out. And that kind of transparency, I think, translates into subject line and body as well. Tell people what they're going to get and be truthful about it. No catchy, ridiculous um, clickbait headlines, right? That's to me on the same level as like the the scams of the Nigerian prince kind of thing. Truthfully, like you're so much better than this. And that reminds me of a lot of other tactics that are kind of sleazy, but all of those confusing emails, I just hate them. And if you're a business owner who hates those things and listening to us, please don't send anything like that (laughs) as well, (laughs) because you're so much better than this, honestly. So you mentioned three pillars to email marketing. So there was consent, transparency. What's the third pillar? Storytelling. Storytelling. Can you tell us more about what that means as a business owner? Again, it depends. I mean, I know that this is so frustrating for some of the listeners, but it really depends on how much you're willing to share. It's it's linked. Um, everything is linked, obviously, and, and connected. Um, but storytelling has to do with how you present yourself to the world and how you're making use of your business life, not necessarily your private life, but your business life into making a sale ethically. That might be tricky, but maybe to explain that a bit better, I can give an example, uh, the example of what I'm doing with my list on a weekly basis. So I'm taking lessons that I'm experiencing uh, from everyday life and I ponder about them and I say, okay, how can I implement this lesson, this life lesson into my business? So for example, there was the other week I sent an email all about worries and how living with worries is a waste of time and time equals money. So how basically I connected how worries cost you money. And through that, I kind of pivoted and segued into But hey, by the way, if you need 
help with not losing money and actually market yourself via email ethically, I'm here to help, no rush. Whenever you're ready, you don't have to either way. But you know, I'm here if you need that. So storytelling is all about how, to me, it's all about how you take some kind of a lesson through some kind of a challenge, and then you end with a strong call to action, let's say. There are a lot of formulas out there to how to do storytelling effectively. I think it really boils down to how you think or how you find the formula that best, best suits you and the one that you can use most frequently without feeling that it's too repetitive or without it feeling like a template, which is very different from a formula, by the way. I'm not a huge fan of templates, although I know that it helps a lot of business owners. I think formulas are more allowing you to spread creativity, whereas templates are more binding or a bit more rigid, so to speak. Maybe it's helpful for the listeners. So what we know about, we're all innate storytellers. It's in our DNA, right? Through evolution, we use storytelling to codify information, to stay alive and survive, and to share wisdom throughout generations. But the thing that a lot of people don't recognize is that in the brain remembers story far better than any other framework out there. They've done studies about, you know, quick, short bullet points and memorizable sayings compared to stories and stories always win. Even memory athletes use stories to memorize thousands of digits. That's how they, they process it and codify and store the information in their brain. And a lot of times business owners think, oh, I can't tell a story. I'm not a writer. But we are all innate storytellers. And there are so many different frameworks, as you mentioned, I think just like in testing what content works for your audience, maybe the audience needs to do a little bit more testing on what framework or formula works best for them when telling stories. I agree with that. And I think it's also important to mention that testing takes time. So we're all living in this fast paced, like social media, immediate society. And besides the other psychological effects, um, I think that's really depriving business owners from trying and failing and testing things out. Again, every failure or every test that you're going through is such a great opportunity to learn from and to grow from. So when you are um, using different formulas and testing other things out. Um, it could be formulas, could be colors of your call to action bu buttons, could be so many different things. When you are experimenting, please give yourself the, the time and the compassion that you probably offer to your own clients when you are experimenting on your own list. It's gonna take time, but I'm pretty sure that if you're gonna persist, it's gonna worth it. That's a really powerful reframe that you just presented. Instead of looking at things as success or failure, put on like your testing mode cap and see it as a test, an opportunity to get results. And neither one is tied to success or failure. It's just learning. I, I can feel the difference in what a testing sequence feels like compared to, is this going to work or not? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And even the 
most amazing, most successful marketers out there, email marketers, general marketers, any other specific niche marketers, they're all experimenting all the time. So even if they come up with the most amazing strategy based on so much market research, I mean, heck, two years ago, we've been through a global pandemic. It's still going on, obviously, but that wasn't really expected. <laughs> and so whoever was trying to market anything then was probably not succeeding. And that's fine. You know, things happen, life happen. You can't trust always that your most amazing strategy that you came up with is going to work. So instead of kind of, as you said, Mickey, instead of looking at it as failure or success, let's put our experimenting hats on and look at it as an experiment and see the beauty in failure as well and how or what we can learn from it as well. You mentioned those niche marketers who are testing and trying and kind of forging the path forward for us in marketing and in email marketing. And I'm curious to know where you see email marketing going over the next, you know, five, 10 years. One thing that I'm seeing more and more of is marketers who are using storytelling, effective and authentic and, and empathetic storytelling and empathetic copy to sell. Mm. And that's the biggest change that I both see right now happening and hoping to see more of in the future. All the sleazy tactics and methods of selling, no one cares about them anymore. I, I don't know how people are buying into them, honestly. And I, I see more and more conversations about and around ethics in general in marketing and specifically in email marketing. And I think that thanks to this conversation, we will see more and more business owners basically using ethics in their marketing. And I cannot wait to see more of it in the future or in the years to come. You know, I love that because so many business owners don't recognize the power they have to create that change mm -hmm. uh, because with every business that steps into the space where they're marketing ethically, that is shifting what's acceptable for everyone else, right? Our tolerance for that is going to decrease as we recognize it's possible to be, not be sold, but be presented opportunities to improve our lives with different products and services. Um, so for business owners who are hearing this and going, okay, I get it. I need to start emailing people. <laughs> How do they start to grow their list? What can they do to begin to get people to opt in and hop onto that list so they can start emailing them? So let's kind of combine everything that we talked about, which is ethics or ethical email marketing and use that to actually grow our lists. Let's talk about our list existing everywhere we go. Let's talk about our businesses everywhere we go and say, well, if you'd like to hear more from me, I send this or that amount of emails every month or every year. Maybe, maybe it's 12 emails a year and that's it. And that's fine. I'm going to send you an email every month or every week or every two weeks. And I'm going to talk more about my business. Would you be interested in joining? And it's as simple as that. I think 
so many of us are kind of afraid of being rejected for a good reason, by the way. Um, we Our rejection sensitivity, sensitivity is so, so high nowadays. And building your list with that sensitivity is, is tough. Just start talking. I, I think it's, it's just as simple as that. And when you reach a number that you feel somewhat comfortable with, then start asking for either kind of, some kind of responses, like hit reply and let me know what you thought, that kind of thing. Or start putting like this short either banner or just plain text saying, you know, if you enjoyed this email today, I would love you to forward this email to someone else who you think would enjoy it. And they're more than welcome to, you know, join the ride. It's all about making those connections, personal connections at first, and it's going to grow from there. So really make sure that whichever size of list that you have really nurture the connections and the relationships that you have with your readers and the size of your email list really doesn't matter. If you have, let's say, 100 people on your list that are your devoted fans and they will open each and every email from you or every other email from you and they trust you already, eventually they're going to buy from you as well. And that's so much better than having 50,000 or 100,000 of subscribers who barely interact with you because you spam them and because you use all kinds of sleazy tactics. So it's really not about the size of your list, but it's about the types of relationships and connections and bonds that you nurture with whoever is on your list because they're not numbers, they're people. So think of, of them as people and cater to them as people. And I promise you that building your list this way is going to be just beautiful and great and feeling so, so good other than just, you know, as you mentioned before, buying lists. Oh my God. I haven't heard this in such a long time. Please do not buy lists. I hear it all the time. Okay. Honestly, it happens way more than you think. And it's so sad. And it's always businesses who have either a small list and they feel desperate. They're in desperation where they need to prove that whatever they're doing is working. And so list numbers for a lot of businesses can be proof. And so they'll buy a list basically to show that whoever to whoever they are is successful. And it's, it's super sad, but it does happen all the time. And if you're on an email marketing platform, they will kick you off if they suspect that you've bought a list and you will not be allowed on. So if you are a small business owner, there's your red flag. Anyone who tries to incentivize you to buy a list, it's not worth it because you will not be able to market to them. And also, please don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be, you wouldn't like to be on a list all of a sudden because, you know, a third party, whatever, just sold it to another business owner. Yeah. One of the things that I'd love to touch on before we kind of close up is... When we're building email newsletters at the very beginning, a lot of times it can feel tedious. It can take a long time. We don't necessarily have our proven frameworks. We don't know the platforms. Are there any ways that business owners can start to speed up that process and make it a little bit easier for them? I know that for me, it helps 
to organize my thoughts a bit in advance. So let's say if I send my emails every week on Friday, then on a Monday, I will already start to think of an idea and how to formulate it. And, and I'm not, I'm talking about the pockets of time in between doing things or when you're washing the dishes or when you're taking a shower, it's, it doesn't require a lot of active thinking time or you don't have to make a lot of time just for that. So I start organizing my thoughts. So by the time that I actually sit down to write on Friday, hopefully, yeah, it doesn't always happen. <laughs> but by the time that I actually sit down to write, I know what it is that I want to write in my email and I have it all in my head. It's just about, you know, putting it down, not on paper, but on email. <laughs> it reminds me of the saying, don't bury the headline. We want to make sure that whatever value we're going to deliver isn't hidden down after walls of text. People skim things. And I think a lot of times we assume we have to do more, write more, be more, make it jam packed, but most people are overwhelmed. Most mm. people want less in their lives. And so if we can simplify email marketing and give one valuable insight, one chunk, one simple thing that's going to deliver value to your audience and not make them work to get it, you're going to get more opens. You're going to get more engagements. People are going to trust you more and they're going to appreciate that because you're delivering value, but you're also saving them a ton of time. Yeah, absolutely. I also find that, um, either highlighting or bolding key phrases or statements in your email, let's say it's longer on the longer side, that's also really helpful in terms of scheming and also dividing it into readable chunks and paragraphs rather than like a huge intimidating chunk of copy or text. But obviously that has to do with experimenting and seeing which framework is working for you and for your audience. So yeah, just have fun with it and start experimenting. And I think paying attention to the way you consume content too can be helpful for me. Mm. I recognized that I don't dive in and start reading a long email. I skim through it and look for headlines to see if it's relevant. And then I'll scroll back and read it after if I found something that piqued my interest. And that might be helpful to start paying attention to the way they read marketing emails, what they open, what they don't open and why. Because we know more than we think we do about marketing. We are exposed to it all day long. If we just start paying attention, we can learn a ton. Yeah. Intention, paying uh, attention and listening to your intuition. I think the combination of those two is going to pave the road to an amazing relationship um, between you and email marketing in general and between you and your readers. If you could give one piece of advice to solo business owners, solopreneurs who are busy working all day long, who haven't touched their list or maybe haven't grown a list yet, but they want to get started. What's the one thing you would tell them to start doing? Good question. If there's one tip that I can give your listeners is just, just do. Instead of being too caught up in your own head, which is something that I'm a pro at doing, you know, it's terrible. But instead of just thinking and overthinking and starting and never finishing, just do, just finish. If you need an accountability buddy to make it happen, get an accountability buddy. If you need to pay someone to make it happen, make it happen. But make sure that you're starting something and you're also finishing it 
and done is better than perfect. Yes, that those are words to live by right there. Thank you so much for today. I know that our listeners have gained a ton of insight and knowledge and probably a lot more confidence in terms of executing emails in an ethical way. Um, so thank you so much. Where can our listeners go online to find you and engage with you and maybe get on your list? Great question. So um, I am trying to be mostly on Instagram, if at all. Um, and you can find me at Ackerman Copywriting or on LinkedIn uh, with my full name, Yuval Ackerman. And you can join my list at my website. It's ackermancopywriting.com slash subscribe. And yeah, come see me practice what I preach. <laughs> thank you so much for your time today, Yuval. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for joining me in another episode of the Hustle Less, Profit More podcast. Thanks to our season one sponsor, Asteri Pursuit Marketing and Communications. You can find show notes and resources at hustlelessprofitmorepodcast.com. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review us where you get your podcasts. Join us again next time to uncover more of the keys to achieving success, wealth, fulfillment, and freedom. Thanks for listening.